Well, last week we began a series um, about why Jesus came to earth. And amazingly, unbelievably, unbelievably, the reason Jesus came to earth, the reason he left the splendors of heaven was for one reason and one reason only. And that was to come in pursuit of you and me. And so now for these messages, we're camping out for this series. We're camping out in Luke chapter 15, where we saw last week, Jesus shares three stories, three parables. But you have to understand that, that these parables weren't just, weren't just random prose. They've conveyed a specific message to specific people. Now notice with me as we begin today, notice who was there when he told these stories. Verse 1, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. In other words, the religious crowd could not understand why someone like Jesus would stoop to hang out with sinners and tax collectors. Well, Jesus knew this, of course, and so in reply to their criticism, he tells these three stories. And the first two stories, it was the lost sheep and the lost coin. And these stories showed Jesus' interest in the pursuit of things lost. And then in the great joy when they were found. Because Jesus said in verse 10, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Well, that's well and good. But you see something else that Jesus also realized, that there was one group listening that didn't think that they needed to repent. After all, the Pharisees, they checked off their religious boxes on a re regular basis. They knew that tax collectors and sinners were lost, but it never, ever crossed their mind that they could be as well. So because Jesus know, knew this, he told the third story, the parable of the lost son. In verse 12, Jesus says, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So the father distributed the assets to them. Notice, to them. You see, because the father had two sons. And in that culture, the eldest son received a double portion of what the younger son received. Thank goodness my parents didn't follow that custom. That was funnier than that. Okay, so this is the way it's going to be today, right? You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, so courtesy laughs, uh, you know. <laughs> For those of you who watch the news. Anyway, okay, I'll try to do better. But it, I went to public schools. And so, you know, that means I may not really be that sharp in all things. But according to the math I learned in public schools, that means that the eldest son would have received two-thirds and the youngest son would have received one-third. Does everyone agree with that? Two-thirds, one-third, okay. Verse 13 says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. Now, the people listening to Jesus would have been stunned 
that a young man would have made such a brazen request on his father. Because in that day, there was a patriarchal system, a system of high respect, of high, of high esteem. And so for the young son to ask for his part of the state while his father was still alive was really the same as the kid wishing his father dead. So the listeners, so to the listeners, this story was a disgrace on the family name, and it was seen as extraordinary disrespect towards the father. And not only that, it would also be an economic hardship because the father would have to sell part of his estate in order to pay off the son's request. And so this was a relational and economic insult against the father and his family's name. And so why in the world would the younger son make such a repulsive request? Augustine, an early Christian theologian, gives a theory to why we do what we do especially when we sin. And Augustine says, a man has murdered another man. What was his motive? Either he desired the man's wife or the man's property, or else he would simply steal to support himself. Or else he was afraid of losing something to him. Or else, having been injured, he was burning to be revenged. And Augustine goes on to say that even a murderer murders because he loved something. He loved romance, he loved wealth, or he loved his reputation. He loved something else much more than he loved God. And that's why he murdered. You see, our hearts have become distorted, according to Augustine, by misguided loves. We love, we rest our hearts in, or we look to things that give us joy and meaning in life that only God can really give. And when we look to those things, our life becomes out of alignment, and that is when sin happens in our life. And it's simply because something has captured our heart more than God himself. So maybe, maybe the young man asked his father for the portion of the estate because he had fallen in love with the father's stuff more than he was in love with the father. And in Genesis chapter 22, we wonder why God would have asked Abraham to go to Mount Moriah and sacrifice his son. After all, Abraham had waited nearly 100 years for God to answer his prayer and give him Isaac. And when Isaac was a young boy, God asked Abraham to take Isaac and sacrifice him on the, on the altar. And so this is another story that's hard to reconcile with the God who is a giver and not a taker. A God who blesses, a God of grace. So why would God, who gave Isaac to Abraham in the first place, ask for Isaac back? Well, in line with what we're talking about, it's possible that Abraham had fallen in love more with Isaac than he was in love with God. Perhaps God, who had been on the throne of Abraham's heart, had been removed, and Abraham had placed Isaac on the throne of his heart. Perhaps Abraham had fallen more in love with the blessing than he was with the giver of the blessing. He had fallen more in love with the creation than he was with the creator. Now, there's no doubt that Abraham still loved God but not as much as he loved Isaac. And so maybe, 
Maybe God was saying, Abraham, there has been a rebellion in your heart, and I again need to take my rightful place on the throne of your heart. You see, because Exodus chapter 20, verse 5 says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now our society says that that makes God sound like he's narcissistic, that he's petty, that he has weaknesses like we do. Absolutely not. The reason God is a jealous God for us is because he created us. And he knows that there's a place in our heart that's only fulfilled when he fills it. And when he's removed from that place in our heart, that's when we go and try to fill it with other things. Listen, bad things happen when God is no longer on the throne of your heart and your life is ruled by misguided loves and misplaced passions. It wrecks homes. It wrecks businesses. It wrecks societies. The reason God is jealous for us is because he knows what happens to humanity when our heart is ruled by other things. So when God asked for Isaac, he didn't want Isaac. He wanted Abraham's heart back. So are there things that have taken God's place on the throne of your heart and my heart today? What misguided loves are we seeking to give meaning in life that only God can give? You see, the younger son may have lived with his father. He may have even obeyed his father. But he didn't love his father. The thing he really loved was his father's possessions. And his heart was set on comfort, on the comfort, on the freedom, on the status that wealth could bring. Well, and dad? Well, dad was simply a means to the end of what he really wanted. By the time Jesus tells his story, the kid's patience had come to an end. He knew that the request to get his part of the inheritance would be a knife in his father's heart, but he obviously didn't care. Basically, he was saying, I wish my father dead so I can get my hands on his stuff. On one side, you have the son who left home and squandered the father's estate on an immoral lifestyle. Then you have the older, seemingly righteous brother. And they seem very different, but yet, when you study the story, they're very much the same. Because one was trying to find fulfillment in life with self-gratification by taking the father's wealth. Wealth, he didn't love the father. He loved the things of the father, and it became apparent by his request. And then on the other side, you have the older son, but he didn't follow the father's command because he loved the father because he says to his dad in verse 29, look, I've been slaving many years for you and I've never disobeyed your orders, but you certainly have never thrown me a party. See, the eldest son didn't love the father for who the father was. Like his little brother, he also loved the father for what the father would do for him. And so a question for us today is that we really need to think about. What is our motive for serving God? Have we really fallen deeply and madly and passionately in love with God through a relationship with Him? Or are we serving Him just to escape the unknown of reality?
of eternity. Do we have a relationship with Jesus? Or do we simply stumble, or have we simply stumbled across a genie to get us out of a jam? Because here's the great irony. The two sons look extremely different on the surface, but, but, but one leaves and lives a depraved life, one, but one stays home and obeys the father to a T. But in the end, however, the older son is furious with the father and humiliates him because now the older brother refuses to sit at the same table with his little brother who had become, who had become known as the lover of prostitutes. He says, hey, my brother left, that big loser. I've done everything right. I'm the winner. But here the loser is getting the party. That doesn't make sense. And he's mad, he's upset, he's angry. So the family's integrity and the father's heart are once again assaulted. First because the one son wanted his part and left. And secondly, when the older brother refuses to sit at the same table with his younger brother to have reconciliation. You wonder why that is. Obviously, the old, older brother is self-righteous. And he didn't think the younger brother worthy to come back home. But another reason just could be that, that the older brother objects to the expense of what's going on. Because remember, the estate was divided between them both. Two-thirds, one-third. Public school, remember all that? And the young son blew his. And so, the expensive fatted calf... That was sacrificed for the young son. That actually belonged to the older brother. He was footing the bill for the party. And so we see with both boys, it's all about show me the money. Both boys, the older brother and the younger son, they loved the possessions of the father, but they did not love the father. So another question that we grapple with today, you and I, is are we in love with God or are we in love with His blessings? Are we in love with Him or is it just another insurance policy so, so that we can have everything covered before we die? Do we really realize that Jesus is a real person who can be known and loved and walked with and talked with or do we just count on Him to helping us out with our mortgage payment whenever things get tight? Yeah, I just want to see if I can hear a pin drop. <laughs> I mean, folks, we've got to face the question. Is Jesus our everything, or is he simply a means to another end? Do we love God, or do we love his stuff? It's a legitimate question. It's a very important question. And so we have this crazy demand by the young son, but the response is even more shocking than the demand. Everyone who was there that day and heard Jesus tell the story would have, would have been astounded that the son would make such a, a ridiculous request. I mean, how could the young man ask such a thing of his father and wish him dead like that? So, I mean, obviously everyone knew what was going to happen next. The father was going to sweep in with anger. There was going to be a beatdown. Because in that culture, 
Everyone knew the father would drive the son away from the house with nothing, or he would correct him with blows, or he may even have him stoned to death. They never expected the father to do what Jesus said the father did. What did Jesus say? The father, he said, the father divided his property between them and gave the son what he asked for. See, if the father had beaten the kid or become embittered or, or had a hard heart towards him, the son would have never dreamed in a million years that he could have come back home. That's right. That's right. He would have been gone all right, but he would have been gone forever. Yeah. But here's what the father did. He took the disgrace. He bore the agony. He endured the pain. The young son went off and partied hard, but the father took the shame upon himself. And instead of paying the son back by inflicting pain, instead of closing the door forever, the father kept the door open for future relationship. The father was willing to suffer for the sin of the child so that someday the kid could come back home. And I hope you're understanding the depth of God's love revealed in this story. And I hope you see the connection that Jesus was conveying between the Father in the parable and the Father that you have up in heaven. So we've seen the son's ridiculous request and we understand that the people around thought it was even a more ridiculous response that the Father would give the son what he wanted. But what does that mean for you and me? What does that mean for us today? Well, first, whether you're the unreligious, free-willing son that left, or you're the moral, religious elder brother that stayed, every single person in this room, every single person in this room, we all have a problem with what Augustine calls misguided loves, or in other words, idols of the heart. Suppose there's a husband who becomes Facebook friends with someone, and, and so he ends up talking to her about his problems and his marriage. Well, several times a day, they communicate to the point that he thinks about her a lot. Well, one day the wife happens to check her husband's Facebook account. And then it all comes out. And the guy is caught, but he says, I mean, what's the problem? I married you, didn't I? I pay the mortgage, don't I? I take the trash out and put the toilet seat down. If someone asks, I tell them you're my wife. Why are you so upset? Well, after she slaps him with a frying pan, she says, I'm upset because you are legally bound to me, but someone else has captured your heart and they have your imagination. Now, we can relate to that. Any of us who have any sanity at all can relate to that. Let me say that. But suppose there's a Christian who says they love God with all their heart. But yet they devote all their time and energy to other things. 
the relationship with God is more of an obligation than it is a passion. Oh, man, it's Sunday morning. I'd sure like to sleep in today. But the Holy Spirit begins to knock at the door of their heart about their apathy. But the person says, hey, God, what's the problem? I prayed the sinner's prayer, didn't I? I go to church once in a while. I give in the offering every now and then. I'm not perfect, but I'm sure a whole lot better than those other people down at the church. But God's not going to leave him alone. You see, because God knows that the term Christ follower in this person's life is only a label. And God knows something else has captured this person's heart and imagination. Of course, we know the young son is a jerk and that he needs forgiveness. But many times when we hear this story, we focus on that. We focus on the lost sheep. We focus on the lost coin. And we gloss over the fact that many of us are like the elder brother. We come and we go through the motions, but our real heart and passion is somewhere else. Is there an Isaac that has taken over your heart? But here's the thing. You know, Isaac, he started out as a good thing. I mean, Isaac was God's answer to prayer, but somewhere along the way, Abraham allowed Isaac to become more important in his life than God. What Isaac has not got off the throne of your heart. Is it your career, your 401k, your kids, all the ball practices that you take them to when they have no chance ever even to start on the varsity high school team, much less the pros? Is there anything that has a controlling position in your heart? Because if there's anything more important to your happiness than God is, and it has become a God with a little G. And that is a misguided love. An idol of your heart. Now, you don't have to be a brain surgeon to realize the one who's obviously lost here. The younger son. And obviously he has misguided loves as do all who relate to the younger son. For some, it's the idol of addiction, whether it's a drug or pornography or acceptance by others. For some, it's, it's an improper relationship that they know that they shouldn't be engaged in. For some, it's putting work above everything else. For others, it's putting family above everything else. For some, it's simply a passion other than what's pleasing to God. And for these people, it's not hard to reason with them that they're lost because it's so easy to see that their lives are out of balance. But the more dangerous idol of the heart is when they're found in the elder brother. You see, because now those idols of the heart, those misguided loves are hidden behind the mask of religiosity. They're hidden because we come to church, we pay our tithe, we're basically good people. But the fact is, even the heart of good church-going people, there is a reality that we could fall in love with something that is more important to us than God himself. 
That's why some sit out there. I, I exalt thee. I exalt thee. I, I exalt thee. And so we continue on with our religious duties. While sadly, following Jesus is no longer a pleasure, it's an obligation. We face a couple of questions in this message today, not pleasant ones, difficult ones. So another one is, how is your relationship with the Lord? Do you have a younger brother syndrome where you're simply seeking after self-gratification? Or like the older brother, are you going through the drudgery of obedience and there's no pleasure in your relationship because of misguided loves that has captured your heart? So what should the what, what impact should the story of the lost son make on us? Well, a tremendous amount. If we can understand that what the Father did for the Son in the parable is what the Heavenly Father did for all of us. Because you see, when God came into this world to establish His kingdom, He could have come in wrath. I mean, let's face it, Adam and Eve blew it in the garden, and it's been downhill ever since. But he did the same thing the father in the parable did. He responded in grace. He didn't come with a sword in his hand. He came with three nails in his hands. He didn't come to bring judgment. He came to bear our judgment. He came to die so that we could live. And Jesus' life was literally torn apart just like the father's estate. But he did it so that we, like the younger son, would be able to come back home. Hallelujah. And just like for the young kid, forgiveness and reconciliation is available to you and to me today. Jesus came in pursuit of younger brothers and older brothers. That's why he came. He came in pursuit. He didn't come in anger, but he took our sins upon himself on the cross in order to give his love so that younger brothers, those bound by immorality and elder brothers who are lost in religious hypocrisy, both could find grace and share a place at the table. When we see the absolute beauty of what Jesus did for us, it should capture or recapture our hearts. When I realized the depth that Jesus had to go to pursue me, how I had broken his heart, how I had disappointed him, it brings a new meaning to the phrase reckless love because my God gave up everything when he left the splendors of heaven to come and find me. My prayer today is, Lord, let there be a revolt in my heart against the misguided love that try to steal my heart from you again. My prayer is that God will recapture the right spot in my heart. When I look at the depths of where he went to pursue me, it makes me want to lay down my Isaacs and run back to the Father. And God has done everything possible to recapture your heart back from the idols in your life that are tugging for your 
allegiance. But you see, at the end of the day, the choice is up to you. And the choice is up to me. Because let's be honest, all of us have been like the younger brother at one time or another. We chose the path of our own way. We were bound by sin. But thank God Jesus left the 99 and saved us and brought us home. And so now we have a seat at the table. The obvious things that we label sin, we don't do anymore. They're not the passions in our life like they used to be. But as a follower of Christ, we could be in more and a more dangerous place now because now we can hide our misguided loves in Christian actions and theological decrees. And then what happens is just one day, just one day, we wake up and we realize that we really haven't loved Jesus in a long time like he deserves to be loved. Because serving God is no longer our passion and we do it out of duty and obligation. See, God gave us something that was so good and refreshing. But somewhere along the way, just like Abraham, we let Isaac take God's place. And instead of keeping God where he's supposed to be, we let something else take over the throne. Listen, God's not jealous for you because he's narcissistic or corrupted. God is jealous in his love for you because he knows the danger when his people let his blessings take the place of him on the throne of their heart. See, if you fall into sin or immorality, someone's going to come after you. But if you're the elder brother and it's your career or it's your dream or it's your future or it's your family that's taking God's place, no one's going to rebuke you for that. If I cloak my idols in the cover of religiosity, they will simply stay there hidden. That is until the conviction of the Holy Spirit brings my Isaacs to light. This is a message about misguided love because it doesn't matter what side of the table you're on. Every one of us in this room have idols that are vying for our attention. Satan will never rest until he has been able to replace God in your life with a th- on the throne with something else. And here's what's so, so devious about what Satan does. They're not all bad. They're not all bad. Some are legitimate activities of life and family. But for some of us, including myself, there are times we need to go to the Mount Moriah of our heart and like Abraham did with Isaac so we can get our hearts right again with God. For some of us here today, God wants our pleasure to serve him and our duty to serve him to no longer be sitting across on opposite sides of the table. He wants our relationship with him to be right. It is so dangerous, so dangerous when our lives are driven by misplaced passions and misguided loves. Bow your heads with me if you would. You may be here today and perhaps you identify more with the younger brother that left. And there's really not a whole lot of argument about where you stand spiritually. And today you realize that you need grace. 
Well, the fact is, friend, that at the front of this church is an ocean of grace that you can come and swim in. There is a spot at the table for you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how miserably you failed God. You may feel so unworthy, but in God's eyes, not only are you invited, but you are welcomed. He is standing with his arms outstretched, waiting on you. Then, of course, my heart cries out. Because I know that we've all been guilty of being the older brother from time to time. So today as God speaks to us, I, I feel that some of us need to come and, and bring Isaac to the altar so that God can reclaim the rightful place in our hearts again. You see, because misguided love will rob you of the joy of serving God. And every one of us need to answer this question. Do I serve him because I love him? Or because of what I hope he will do for me?